January 15-21 to 21 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Couch Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon Morning, January 15 Do as thou hast said Second Samuel 7.25 God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. He intended that they should be used. God's gold is not miser's money, but is minted to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see His promises put in circulation. He loves to see His children bring them up to Him and say, Lord, do as Thou hast said. We glorify God when we plead His promises. Do you think that God will be any the poorer for giving you the riches he has promised? Do you dream that he will be any the less holy for giving holiness to you? Do you imagine he will be any the less pure for washing you from your sins? He has said, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Faith lays hold upon the promise of pardon, and it does not delay, saying, This is a precious promise. I wonder if it be true. But it goes straight to the throne with it, and pleads, Lord, here is the promise. Do as thou hast said. Our Lord replies, Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. When a Christian grasps a promise, if he does not take it to God, he dishonors him. But when he hastens to the throne of grace and cries, Lord, I have nothing to recommend me but this. Thou hast said it. Then his desire shall be granted. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes. Never let the promise rust. Draw the sword of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence. Think not that God will be troubled by your importunately reminding him of his promises. He loves to hear the loud outcries of needy souls. It is his delight to bestow favors. He is more ready to hear than you are to ask. The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with, Do as thou hast said. Evening, January 15. But I give myself unto prayer. Psalm 109.4 Lying tongues were busy against the reputation of David, but he did not defend himself. He moved the case into a higher court and pleaded before the great king himself. Prayer is the safest method of replying to words of hatred. The psalmist prayed in no cold-hearted manner. He gave himself to the exercise, threw his whole soul and heart into it, straining every sinew and muscle, as Jacob did when wrestling with the angel. Thus, and thus only, shall any of us speed at the throne of grace. As a shadow has no power, because there is no substance in it, even so that supplication, in which a man's proper self is not thoroughly present in agonizing earnestness and vehement desire, is utterly ineffectual, for it lacks that which would give it force. Fervent prayer, says an old divine, like a cannon planted at the gates of heaven, makes them fly open. The common fault with most of us is our readiness to yield to distractions. Our thoughts go roving hither and thither, and we make little progress towards our desired end. 
Like quicksilver, our mind will not hold together, but rolls off this way and that. How great an evil this is! It injures us, and what is worse, it insults our God. What should we think of a petitioner if, while having an audience with a prince, he should be playing with a feather or catching a fly? Continuance and perseverance are intended in the expression of our text. David did not cry once and then relapse into silence. His holy clamor was continued till it brought down the blessing. Prayer must not be our chance work, but our daily business, our habit and vocation. As artists give themselves to their models, and poets to their classical pursuits, so we must addict ourselves to prayer. We must be immersed in prayer as in our element, and so pray without ceasing. Lord, teach us to pray that we may be more and more prevalent in supplication. Morning, January 16. I will help thee, saith the Lord. Isaiah 41.14 This morning let us hear the Lord Jesus speak to each one of us. I will help thee. It is but a small thing for me, thy God, to help thee. Consider what I have done already. What? Not help thee? Why, I bought thee with my blood. What? Not help thee? I have died for thee. And if I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Help thee. It is the least I will ever do for thee. I have done more and will do more. Before the world began, I chose thee. I made the covenant for thee. I laid aside my glory and became a man for thee. I gave up my life for thee. And if I did all this, I will surely help thee now. In helping thee, I am giving thee what I have bought for thee already. If thou hast need of a thousand times as much help, I would give it thee. Thou requirest little compared with what I am ready to give. Tis much for thee to need, but it is nothing for me to bestow. Help thee? Fear not. If there were an ant at the door of thy granary asking for help, it would not ruin thee to give him a handful of thy wheat. And thou art nothing but a tiny insect at the door of my all-sufficiency. I will help thee. O my soul, is this not enough? Dost thou need more strength than the omnipotence of the United Trinity? Dost thou want more wisdom than exists in the Father, more love than displays itself in the Son, or more power than is manifest in the influences of the Spirit? Bring hither thy empty pitcher. Surely this well will fill it. Haste, gather up thy wants and bring them here, thy emptiness, thy woes, thy needs. Behold, this river of God is full for thy supply. What canst thou desire beside? Go forth, my soul, in this thy might. The eternal God is thine helper. Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed. I, I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. Evening, January 16. The Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Daniel 9, 26. Blessed be his name, there is no cause of death in him. Neither original nor actual sin had defiled him, and therefore no death had claim upon him. No man could have taken his life from him justly, for he had done no man wrong, and no man could have even slain him by force unless he had been pleased to yield himself to die. But lo, one sins and another suffers. Justice was offended by us, but it found its satisfaction in him. Rivers of tears, mountains of offerings, seas of the blood of bullocks, and hills of frankincense, 
could not have availed for the removal of sin. But Jesus was cut off for us, and the cause of wrath was cut off at once, for sin was put away forever. Herein is wisdom, whereby substitution, the sure and speedy way of atonement, was devised. Herein is condescension, which brought Messiah, the Prince, to wear a crown of thorns and die upon the cross. Herein is love, which led the Redeemer to lay down his life for his enemies. It is not enough, however, to admire the spectacle of the innocent bleeding for the guilty. We must make sure of our interests therein. The special object of the Messiah's death was the salvation of his church. Have we a part and a lot among those for whom he had given his life as a ransom? Did the Lord Jesus stand as a representative? Are we healed by his stripes? It will be a terrible thing indeed if we come short of a portion in the sacrifice. It were better for us that we had never been born. Solemn as the question is, it is a joyful circumstance that it is one which may be answered clearly and without mistake. To all who believe on him, the Lord Jesus is a present Savior, and upon them all the blood of reconciliation has been sprinkled. Let all who trust in the merit of Messiah's death be joyful at every remembrance of him, and let their holy gratitude lead them to the fullest consecration to his cause. Morning, January 17. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion. Revelation 14.1 The Apostle John was privileged to look within the gates of heaven, and in describing what he saw, he begins by saying, I looked, and lo, a lamb. This teaches us that the chief object of contemplation in the heavenly state is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Nothing else attracted the Apostle's attention so much as the person of that divine being who hath redeemed us by his blood. He is the theme of the songs of all glorified spirits and holy angels. Christian, here is joy for thee. Thou hast looked, and thou hast seen the Lamb. Through thy tears thine eyes have seen the Lamb of God taking away thy sins. Rejoice then. In a little while, when thine eyes shall have been wiped from tears, thou wilt see the same Lamb exalted on his throne. It is the joy of thy heart to hold daily fellowship with Jesus. Thou shalt have the same joy to a higher degree in heaven. Thou shalt enjoy the constant vision of his presence. Thou shalt dwell with him forever. I looked, and lo, a Lamb. Why, that lamb is heaven itself, for as good Weatherford says, heaven and Christ are the same thing. To be with Christ is to be in heaven, and to be in heaven is to be with Christ. That prisoner of the Lord very sweetly writes in one of his glowing letters, O my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. It is true, is it not, Christian? Does not thy soul say so? Not all the harps above can make a heavenly place, if God his residence remove, or but conceal his face. All thou needest to make thee blessed, supremely blessed, is to be with Christ. Evening, January 17. And it came to pass in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. 2 Samuel 11.2 At that hour David saw Bathsheba. We are never out of the reach of temptation. 
both at home and abroad, we are liable to meet with allurements to evil. The morning opens with peril, and the shades of evening find us still in jeopardy. They are well kept whom God keeps, but woe unto those who go forth into the world, or even dare to walk their own house unarmed. Those who think themselves secure are more exposed to danger than any others. The armor-bearer of sin is self-confidence. David should have been engaged in fighting the Lord's battles, instead of which he tarried in Jerusalem and gave himself up to luxurious repose, for he arose from his bed at eventide. Idleness and luxury are the devil's jackals, and find him abundant prey. In stagnant waters noxious creatures swarm, and neglected soil soon yields a dense tangle of weeds and briars. Oh, for the constraining love of Jesus to keep us active and useful! When I see the king of Israel sluggishly leaving his couch at the close of day and falling at once into temptation, let me take warning and set holy watchfulness to guard the door. Is it possible that the king had mounted his housetop for retirement and devotion? If so, what a caution is given to us to count no place, however secret, a sanctuary from sin. While our hearts are so like a tinderbox and sparks so plentiful, we had need use all diligence in all places to prevent a blaze. Satan can climb housetops and enter closets, and even if we could shut out that foul fiend, our own corruptions are enough to work our ruin, unless grace prevent. Reader, beware of evening temptations. Be not secure. The sun is down, but sin is up. We need a watchman for the night, as well as a guardian for the day. O oh, blessed Spirit! Keep us all from evil this night. Amen. Morning, January 18. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Hebrews 4, 9. How different will be this state of the believer in heaven from what it is here. Here he is born to toil and suffer weariness, but in the land of the immortal fatigue is never known. Anxious to serve his master, he finds his strength unequal to his zeal. His constant cry is, Help me to serve thee, O my God. If he be thoroughly active, he will have much labor, not too much for his will, but more than enough for his power, so that he will cry out, I am not wearied of the labor, but I am wearied in it. O Christian, the hot day of weariness lasts not forever. The sun is nearing the horizon. It shall rise again with a brighter day than thou hast ever seen upon a land where they serve God day and night and yet rest from their labors. Here rest is but partial. There it is perfect. Here the Christian is always unsettled. He feels that he has not yet attained. There all are at rest. They have attained the summit of the mountain. They have ascended to the bosom of their God. Higher they cannot go. Ah, toil-worn laborer, only think when thou shalt rest forever. Canst thou conceive it? It is a rest eternal, a rest that remaineth. Here my best joys bear mortal on their brow. My fair flowers fade, my dainty cups are drained to dregs. My sweetest birds fall before death's arrows. My most pleasant days are shadowed into nights and the flood-tide of my bliss subside into ebbs of sorrow. But there everything is immortal. The harp abides unrusted, the crown unwithered, the eye undimmed, 
the voice unfaltering, the heart unwavering, and the immortal being is wholly absorbed in infinite delight. Happy day, happy, when mortality shall be swallowed up of life and the eternal Sabbath shall begin. Evening, January 18. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke twenty four twenty seven. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus had a most profitable journey. Their companion and teacher was the best of tutors, the interpreter one of a thousand, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Lord Jesus condescended to become a preacher of the gospel, and he was not ashamed to exercise his calling before an audience of two persons. Neither does he now refuse to become the teacher of even one. Let us court the company of so excellent an instructor, for till he has made us unto wisdom, we shall never be wise unto salvation. This unrivaled tutor used as his class book the best of books. Although able to reveal fresh truth, he preferred to expound the old. He knew by his omniscience what was the most instructive way of teaching, and by turning at once to Moses and the prophets, he showed us that the surest road to wisdom is not speculation, reasoning, or reading human books, but meditation upon the word of God. The readiest way to be spiritually rich in heavenly knowledge is to dig in this mind of diamonds, to gather pearls from this heavenly sea. When Jesus himself sought to enrich others, he wrought in the quarry of Holy Scripture. The favored pair were led to consider the best of subjects, for Jesus spake of Jesus and expounded the things concerning himself. Here the diamond cut the diamond, and what could be more admirable? The master of the house unlocked his own doors, conducted the guest to his table, and placed his own dainties upon it. He who hid the treasure in the field himself guided the searchers to it. Our Lord would naturally discourse upon the sweetest of topics, and he could find none sweeter than his own person and work. With an eye to these we should always search the word. Oh, for grace to study the Bible with Jesus as both our teacher and our lesson. Morning, January 19. I sought him, but I found him not. Song of Solomon 3.1 Tell me where you lost the company of Christ, and I will tell you the most likely place to find him. Have you lost Christ in the closet by restraining prayer? Then it is there you must seek and find him. Did you lose Christ by sin? You will find Christ in no other way, but by the giving up of the sin, and seeking by the Holy Spirit to mortify the member in which the lust doth dwell. Did you lose Christ by neglecting the Scriptures? You must find Christ in the Scriptures. It is a true proverb. Look for a thing where you dropped it. It is there. So look for Christ where you lost him, for he's not gone away. But it is hard work to go back for Christ. Bunyan tells us the pilgrim found the piece of the road back to the arbor of ease, where he lost his role, the hardest he had ever traveled. Twenty miles onward is easier than to go one mile back for the lost evidence. Take care, then, when you find your master, to cling close to him. But how is it you have lost him? One would have thought that you would never have parted with such a precious friend, whose presence is so sweet, whose words are so comforting, and whose company is so dear to you. How is it that you did not watch him every moment for fear of losing sight of him? Yet, since you have let him go, 
What a mercy that you are seeking him, even though you mournfully groan. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Go on seeking, for it is dangerous to be without thy Lord. Without Christ, you are like a sheep without its shepherd, like a tree without water at its roots, like a sear leaf in the tempest, not bound to the tree of life. With thine whole heart seek him, and he will be found of thee. Only give thyself thoroughly up to the search, and verily thou shalt discover him to thy joy and gladness. Evening, January 19. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. Luke 24, 45. He whom we viewed last night as opening scripture, we here perceive opening the understanding. In the first work he has many fellow laborers, but in the second he stands alone. Many can bring the scriptures to the mind, but the Lord alone can prepare the mind to receive the scriptures. Our Lord differs from all other teachers. They reach the ear, but he instructs the heart. They deal with the outward letter, but he imparts an inward taste for the truth, by which we perceive its savor and spirit. The most unlearned of men become ripe scholars in the school of grace when the Lord Jesus by his Holy Spirit unfolds the mysteries of the kingdom to them and grants the divine anointing by which they are enabled to behold the invisible. Happy are we if we have had our understandings cleared and strengthened by the Master. How many men of profound learning are ignorant of eternal things? They know the killing letter of Revelation but its killing spirit they cannot discern. They have a veil upon their hearts which the eyes of carnal reason cannot penetrate. Such was our case a little time ago. We who now see were once utterly blind. Truth was to us as beauty in the dark, a thing unnoticed and neglected. Had it not been for the love of Jesus, we should have remained to this moment in utter ignorance. For without his gracious opening of our understanding, we could no more have attained to spiritual knowledge than an infant can climb the pyramids or an ostrich fly to the stars. Jesus' college is the only one in which God's truth can be really learned. Other schools may teach us what is to be believed, but Christ alone can show us how to believe it. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus, and by earnest prayer call in his blessed aid that our dull wits may grow brighter, and our feeble understandings may receive heavenly things. Morning, January 20. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Genesis 4.2 As a shepherd, Abel sanctified his work to the glory of God and offered a sacrifice of blood upon his altar, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. This early type of our Lord is exceedingly clear and distinct. Like the first streak of light which tinges the east at sunrise, it does not reveal everything, but it clearly manifests the great fact that the sun is coming. As we see Abel, a shepherd, and yet a priest, offering a sacrifice of sweet smell unto God, we discern our Lord, who brings before his Father a sacrifice to which Jehovah ever hath respect. Abel was hated by his brother, hated without a cause. And even so was the Savior. The natural and carnal man hated the accepted man, in whom the Spirit of grace was found, and rested not until his blood had been shed. Abel fell, and sprinkled his altar in sacrifice with his own blood. 
and therein sets forth the Lord Jesus slain by the enmity of men while serving as a priest before the Lord. The good shepherd layeth down his life for the sheep. Let us weep over him as we view him slain by the hatred of mankind, staining the horns of his altars with his own blood. Abel's blood speaketh. The Lord said unto Cain, The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The blood of Jesus hath a mighty tongue, and the import of its prevailing cry is not vengeance, but mercy. It is precious, beyond all preciousness, to stand at the altar of our Good Shepherd, to see him bleeding there as a slaughtered priest, and then to hear his blood speaking peace to all his flock, peace in our conscience, peace between Jew and Gentile, peace between man and his offended Maker, peace all down through the ages for blood-washed men. Abel is the first shepherd in the order of time, but our hearts can ever place Jesus first in the order of excellence. Thou great keeper of the sheep, we the people of thy pasture, bless thee with our whole hearts when we see thee slain for us. Evening, January 20. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Psalms 119, 37. There are divers kind of vanity, the cap and bills of the fool, the mirth of the world, the dance, the lyre, and the cup of the dissolute. All these men know to be vanities. They wear upon their forefront their proper name and title. Far more treacherous are those equally vain things, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. A man may follow vanity as truly in the counting-house as in the theatre. If he be spending his life in amassing wealth, he passes his days in a vain show. Unless we follow Christ and make our God the great object of life, we only differ in appearance from the most frivolous. It is clear that there is much need of the first prayer of our text, Quicken thou in thy way. The psalmist confesses that he is dull, heavy, lumpy, all but dead. Perhaps, dear reader, you feel the same. We are so sluggish that the best motives cannot quicken us apart from the Lord himself. What? Will not hell quicken me? Shall I think of sinners perish and yet not be awakened? Will not heaven quicken me? Can I think of the reward that awaiteth the righteous and yet be cold? Will not death quicken me? Can I think of dying and standing before my God and yet be slothful in my master's service? Will not Christ's love constrain me? Can I think of his dear wounds? Can I sit at the foot of his cross and not be stirred with fervency and zeal? It seems so. No mere consideration can quicken us to zeal, but God himself must do it. Hence the cry, Quicken thou me. The psalmist breathes out his whole soul in vehement pleadings. His body and his soul unite in prayer. Turn away mine eyes, says the body, Quicken thou me, cries the soul. This is a fit prayer for every day. O Lord, hear it in my case this night. Morning, January 21. And so all Israel shall be saved. Romans 11:26. Then Moses sang at the Red Sea. It was his joy to know that all Israel were safe. Not a drop of spray fell from that solid wall until the last of God's Israel had safely planted his foot on the other side of the flood. That done, 
Immediately the floods dissolved into their proper place again, but not till then. Part of that song was, Thou in thy mercy hath led forth the people whom thou hath redeemed. In the last time, when the elect shall sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and of the Lamb, it shall be the boast of Jesus, Of all thou hast given me, I have lost none. In heaven there shall not be a vacant throne. For all the chosen race shall meet around the throne, shall bless the conduct of his grace, and make his glories known. As many as God hath chosen, as many as Christ hath redeemed, as many as the Spirit hath called, as many as believe in Jesus, shall safely cross the dividing sea. We are not all safely landed yet. Part of the host have crossed the flood, and part are crossing now. The vanguard of the army has already reached the shore. We are marching through the depths. We are at this day following hard after our leader into the heart of the sea. Let us be of good cheer. The rear guard shall soon be where the vanguard already is. The last of the chosen ones shall soon have crossed the sea, and then shall be heard the song of triumph, when all are secure. But, oh, if one of his chosen family should be cast away, it would make an everlasting discord in the song of the redeemed, and cut the strings of the harps of paradise, so that music could never be extorted from them. Evening, January 21 he was sore athirst and called upon the Lord, and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance unto the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst? Judges 15.18 Samson was thirsty and ready to die. The difficulty was totally different from any which the hero had met before. Merely to get this thirst assaged is nothing like so great a matter as to be delivered from a thousand Philistines. But when the thirst was upon him, Samson felt that little present difficulty more weighty than the past great difficulty, out of which he had so specially been delivered. It is very usual for God's people, when they have enjoyed a great deliverance, to find a little trouble too much for them. Samson slays a thousand Philistines and piles them up in heaps, and then faints for a little water. Jacob wrestles with God at Peniel and overcomes omnipotence itself, and then goes halting on his thigh. Strange that there must be a shrinking of the sinew whenever we win the day. As if the Lord must teach us our littleness, our nothingness, in order to keep us within bounds. Samson boasted right loudly when he said, I have slain a thousand men. His boastful throat soon grew hoarse with thirst, and he betook himself to prayer. God has many ways of humbling his people. Dear child of God, if after great mercy you are laid very low, your case is not an unusual one. When David had mounted the throne of Israel, he said, I am this day weak, though anointed king. You must expect to feel the weakest when you are enjoying your greatest triumph. If God has wrought for you great deliverances in the past, your present difficulty is only like Samson's thirst, and the Lord will not let you faint, nor suffer the daughter of the uncircumcised to triumph over you. The road of sorrow is the road to heaven, but there are wills of refreshing water all along the route. So, tried brother, cheer your heart with Samson's words, and rest assured that God will deliver you ere long. End of January 15 to 21